0: Recorded live. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Friday, September 23rd, 2016. I'm Michael Agello of HockeyBuzz.com, and I am pleased to be joined once again by the former assistant general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mr. Bill Waters. Good morning, Bill.
1: Good morning, Michael.
0: Well, it's, uh, I think a lot of hockey fans, you know, uh, when it comes to summer, they enjoy the time off, but when it gets to, like, early September, it's like, let's get this over with and let's get back to hockey. And uh, I know that one of the only things that, uh, for me, that was positive about the World Cup is that I didn't have to wait, you know, I didn't have to wait until the late September for the opening of training camps. But I wanted to talk about the World Cup to start off um, and what your feelings were about this tournament. I think the NHL was, the idea behind this was to obviously, you know, derive some revenue out of it for them and the players association and maybe the iihf but maybe as a plausible option uh to uh the olympics which i I, i'm starting to get the feeling they're not going to go to in 2018 first what do you think of the tournament overall and do you think that the success or failure of it is going to affect the direction in terms of going to the olympics
1: in two years No, I don't think it should. I I think overall the tournament was uh, excellent from a hockey standpoint. I thought we saw hockey that we don't see in the regular season. A lot of puck movement, good speed, especially with North America and Team Canada. Uh, I think that Team Canada has pointed out once again that the depth of talent in Canada is really what makes us the superior hockey state hockey country, and I say that in all due respect. I mean, I heard Tortorella talking about it yesterday, and it's it's a very reasonable observation. I think you could put at least two teams in the World Cup of Hockey with Canada 1, Canada 2. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, those uh, sailboats who used to have when mm-hmm. they were racing uh, down off of uh, Connecticut there. They would, uh, or Rhode Island, pardon me, and uh, you'd have uh, USA 1, USA 2. Well, when you've got two teams, like Canada could put together, it would make for a much more entertaining tournament mm-hmm. than having uh, a Canadian team that is, at this point, is uh, probably a notch above the others. And I don't like to say that because it makes you sound pompous, and uh, mm-hmm. Canadians are, have never been that way, nor, nor am I. I. But I still think, in fairness to uh, hockey in Canada, there are at least two teams that could play in that tournament. Having said that, I think the idea of a North American team was a very good one and provided a lot of entertainment and could have provided a lot more, except uh, they were unable to get to the semifinals. Uh, the fact that Europe got to the semifinals is a credit to them, but they're not the most entertaining team in the, in the mix. But Sweden's the same way. They, they play the, the lock and they, they uh, play the trap and they lull you to sleep and beat you one nothing and do it very well. And that can happen. I can't see Russia beating Canada, and then I say to myself, "Well, why not? You know, Ovechkin might wake up and get a couple of lucky ones, and all of a sudden, Bobrovsky's unbeatable, and the yeah. game is over." So, I, I, it, it, it... go I, ahead. I, I,
0: I think that's the key. I think, I mean, Bobrovsky, If you look, if you look at Bobrovsky, I mean, this is the goalie who won the Vesna Trophy a few years ago. I mean, he's yeah. he's been up he's been up and down with Columbus. He's had his injury problems, specifically groin issues. But in this tournament, in three games, he's been the difference. Uh, he's been phenomenal, uh, and I, I think that's Russia's only chance against Canada. I mean, Canada is a is a, is a Goliath. It's you know, they're, you know, they're so deep up the middle. The defense is great. They're getting you know really good goaltending from Carey Price, and you know Babcock is Babcock. But I I, I you know it, it's it's tough to see them losing, but it's a one-game scenario. And if Bobrovsky stands on his head and if they get offense out of guys like Tarasenko and Ovechkin there you know there is a possibility that Russia could upset them and i think that would probably be the disaster scenario for this tournament because i think they're looking at it this as you know Canada versus Sweden or Canada versus Europe if it's Russia versus Sweden i think you're going to have a lot of empty seats at the ACC
1: Absolutely it it Canada is key to uh putting the shine on the financial end of this, if they're in the final, you can be assured of at least two sellouts. If it goes to a third game, well, obviously you have an additional one. I I just, I I think that Canada, uh, everything else being equal, uh, should beat Russia. Uh, On the other hand, your point's well made. Uh, Mike, you never can put one of those in the bag until you've got 60 minutes in and you've got more goals than they have. And, I think Canada is the best coach team in the in, in the tournament. I think they've got the best goaltender in the tournament, notwithstanding a little rustiness. Uh, I think they've got the best defense in the league, and they've got the best forwards. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're, your term, a Goliath, is a, is an appropriate one, and uh, I hope that they can perform at the level that they expect themselves to do, and if they do, they'll win it. Now, uh, is that something that people are going to want to come over to Canada every four years and play in the Canadian Invitational? (laughs) Play on Canadian ice surface? Play against the best team in hockey at that point, the best country? Uh, I'm not sure. I think if they're going to make it a World Cup, they better find a venue in Europe where they can play in uh, uh, Stockholm, Moscow, and perhaps Helsinki in the big building there. Uh, and split it up there's not one city that can handle it like toronto can but uh, i don't think it's fair to uh, the european teams to have to do all the traveling uh, come and play on the ice surface that uh, canadians and uh, u.s players are most accustomed to and expect it to be an open championship it's not it's an invitational come and play on the small ice and see how you can do
0: yeah, I mean, if I, apparently Vladimir Putin made overtures about, you know, pitching for the, the next World Cup, which would presumably be in 2020. I mean, I, I think that the, I mean, at least have, like, say, the, a, a European group, Finland, Sweden, Team Europe, Russia, and play the games, like, a, as you said, in Helsinki, maybe Vienna, maybe Stockholm, in, in St. Petersburg or Mo, Moscow, spread it out there and then have the, 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 the two semifinalists come over to play the games in Toronto. That would probably be a compromise. But...
1: I, you know you know what? That would be ideally, uh, monetarily, that would be fine. But I think you have to. You have to, to be fair to the other countries other than Canada and the United States and, of course, Team North America, you have to let them play on their ice. Yeah. I mean, this is not a Canadian invitation. Well, if it is, call it that. Don't call it the World Cup and play on a soccer field that's half the size. Yeah. Can't do uh, that.
0: A couple points on a couple teams that uh you know sort of stood out. Obviously, uh all the all the <clears throat> tension from John Tortorella on the selections made by USA hockey for this tournament. Um I spoke with Kevin Allen uh, of USA Today on a recent hockey buzzcast and he he basically said look at the rosters of Sweden, Russia, Canada and look at the top eight of those teams and then look at the top eight of the US and probably two or three of the top eight were on Team North America. Now that's not a cop out. They could have chosen a better roster than they did. But yes. I, I think it's a little unfair to lump it all on John Tortorella uh and uh his roster selection along with USA hockey. I mean I, I think you the US could have been more competitive, but some of the choices were puzzling.
1: Yes. And, and you know, Dean Lombardi and the group, I don't know who the group are, but uh, Burke would be part of it. I know that. Right. Uh, how they allowed. And, and I don't know how much latitude they had. There certainly was some room for the Kessels of this world, but Kessel would have played just like he always did on a team like that. Tortorella gave them an out when he did the uh, uh, if you uh, don't stand for the national, if you sit down for the national anthem, you don't play the rest of the game. And then he goes after uh, the ca- captain of the Canadian team and says uh, uh, that you um, aren't playing well. He's played two exhibition games. I mean, it, it, John can't help himself. Mm-hmm. He, he thinks he's in Columbus and his job is protected. I can say this I like John Tortorella. I think he's an awfully nice man. And you don't understand him unless you get to see the other side of him. His exposure as a coach leaves me somewhat cool. And I can only say this. If I'm looking at his future in uh, the U.S. hockey, I think he's coached his last team.
0: Mm-hmm. They, they can't I, put up with this. I, I agree with that, but I also think with the you know, it was a buzz on Twitter the uh, tweet that Phil Kessel sent out after the uh, after the loss to Canada um, that you know he was enjoying himself sitting there with his with his dog, watching this. And uh, you know, making making assertions that he should have been on the team, and a couple of players from from uh, you know Team USA did not appreciate that or, or interpreted that as a sort of a dig against them, and they hoped that that wasn't the case. But I can pretty much tell you that Phil Kessel has probably played his last game for USA Hockey because they, they, they don't want they don't want a player who they decided based on you know criteria that they decided criticizing their choices after the fact. And Kessel's in his late twenties, I would be seriously surprised if Phil Kessel ever plays for uh, team USA in the Olympics or any other tournament.
1: Well, I would be too. And I I think it's too bad. Phil made a bad choice should never have done that should have found something uh, just as humorous, but not inferring. And I don't think he intended it uh, to be an insult to guys that he played with guys that he knew It was obviously the people that made the choices, and uh, he should have been more pacific about that, as they say in the Atlantic. But (laughs) Phil Kessel got himself into the same mess he gets himself into whenever he's exposed to the mass media, whether it be Toronto or whether it be social media. He's got to be very careful, uh, because Phil's a lot of things. Uh, He he sometimes gets his foot in his mouth before he even gets his mouth open. And uh, that allowed Tortorella... To say that this you know should never have said this, and more importantly, the the, the inference from uh, Jeremy Roenick and Mike Modano. I didn't read Modano's, but Jeremy Roenick should know better. Uh, the, that's a direct reflection on the team. That's a direct reflection on U.S. hockey, and it's not appropriate, particularly uh, for players of that stature. I I, I think that the social media can be a pariah that you just can't. You can't get away from, and you can't recover from. Them.
0: Well, it, it's funny that that previous generation that won the '96 uh, World Cup came out. I mean, I know that Brett Hall and Chris Chelios were doing uh, commentary for ESPN, and they were rather harsh on USA for you know the roster and for some decisions being made. And I'm like, this is the same group that undercut uh, US the US's chances in Nagano by uh, partying too much and wrecking hotel yeah. rooms so I, it, yeah. it's it's funny that 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 they were so vociferous in their criticism I get you know i'm i'm a i'm a- you know i'm an american i'm a hockey fan i I wanted to see you, the u s succeed they bitterly disappointed I think that what's going to have to happen with u s a hockey is the same thing that happened with team canada after ninety eight and Nagano is have you know some sort of summit and decide what direction USA Hockey should go in. And I think that probably the thing that's going to help them is all that American talent on Team North America that they couldn't put in the lineup. That's why I don't think Team North America is going to be in existence the next time this tournament happens, because USA is going to want Goudreau and Matthews and Eichel.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and uh, it, it, it precludes Team North America from being an entity. It could be the second Team Canada. That's what I would do, and uh, let the U.S. load up because they do. And, you know, they've got a wonderful development program coming out of Ann Arbor. I mean, they just keep churning out the players. A lot of good young players come out of St. Louis. Come, they're coming out of California and Arizona. Look at Austin Matthews. It's not like U.S. hockey's fallen flat on its face. It's fallen flat on its face by the people they choose to pick the team and coach the team. Yep. And well, so and- that's where they have to upgrade themselves. Like Babcock as a coach stands head and shoulders above all the rest. And as he pointed out, and I thought it was very um, appropriate and it was uh, a good move on Mike's part. He said, Hey, I don't know what kind of a system you're talking about. All I know, it's the same system as I had in Toronto last year. And I was the worst coach in the NHL. (laughs) The point is he has the best players and it's his job to make the best players win. And if he doesn't, then that pressure was too much for him. I don't see that being the case. But I do respect him for saying what he said about being the worst coach in the NHL, which he wasn't, but he took that liberty and used the example of his skilled players that he has on Team Canada that sets him apart now.
0: Yeah, When you have have Crosby, Taves, Gexloff as your top three centers as opposed to Team USA who had to move Pavelski from the wing and have Derek Step on, I mean, it's sort of... It's sort of yeah. uh, a little imbalanced. But let's, let's, and, let's just... and if
1: you look at Getzlaff, who was a captain of a hockey team that underachieved at best, and you look at him in the World Cup and you look at him in the Stanley Cup, two different hockey players, probably with about 15 to 20 pounds difference as well. Mm-hmm. He got himself mm-hmm. in shape for the World Cup, never, ever appeared that way with Anaheim, shame on him. Makes eight point five million a year. Shame on Bob Murray. It's it's, uh, it's 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 incredulous that you could see the difference in the player just by observation. And well, he's down in weight. He's worked hard to get in shape. He never did that in Anaheim.
0: And that might be the you know that may be good news for Randy Carlyle taking back over the Ducks from Bruce Boudreau because I, I mean I, they bitterly disappointed against Nashville in the first round last year. I still think that that team, you know, can you know can get I,
1: yeah. You almost if Perry, I was told that Perry couldn't get from one dot to the other hmm. vertically, but horizontally from one face up across the front of the net he could do that. That's the shape he was in last year. Obviously, Getzlaff was just as bad. And when you got your two eight and a half, million, $9 million players not being responsible enough to get themselves in top condition, you got a mess. I don't care if you've got Knut Rockney coaching. You can't do anything with those two. Yeah, and yeah. your point's well made. If, in fact, they're both in shape, that's going to be a major asset for even Bob Murray.
0: Yeah, Getzloff had one goal at the All-Star break. It's it's pathetic. But, okay, so, I mean, more shifting from that to more Leaf-centered uh, things to do with the World Cup. They had eight players there. I'm not going to go through it, each one of them because, you know, guys like Mahan Mahalik and Jonas Enroth and uh, Roman Polak, I mean, they were pretty much role players for the teams, although Mahalik was – the, the checks are so bad that Mahalik, I think, was a first-line guy. But your impression on – I mean, first, Austin Matthews, and Morgan Riley from Team North America. I look at Riley and sometimes I think when you're in Toronto you sometimes will elevate the stock of a certain player sort of the blue and white you know glasses yeah. and sometimes you underestimate how good a player is and I think with Morgan Riley there's been some underestimating because you know they put him on the top pairing with Aaron Eckblad and he's basically been the guy who's led Team North America in ice time on the blue line. I I think he's on track to be one of the top ten defensemen in the NHL in the next few years.
1: Well, I don't think you're too far wrong. I thought he played very well. What I liked about him was his speed with the puck. He 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 made a lot of sorties into the offensive zone with very much a deliberance and and a, a a method in his madness. And I always saw him uh, as not being committed. To going to the net with the speed he has and the shot he has, so that was a good sign. Uh, uh, Austin Matthews was, uh, I guess you could call him a pleasant surprise, but he certainly played uh, well. And you can see a thirty-five to forty-goal scorer playing on the left wing with somebody that didn't get him the puck, and uh, they've got a few that should be able to do that. Uh, I the guy that really impressed me in more ways than one was. Uh, Nikolai Zaitsev, Nikita, pardon me, Nikita Zaitsev. He, he impressed me with his play. He was steady with his play, and he played solidly. They interviewed him yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. He spoke perfect English. What does that tell you about a guy that hasn't played anywhere but in Russia and is coming to Toronto to play in October? That tells you this guy is committed to a career in Toronto, He's committed to making himself better, not only on the ice, but off the ice. And when they finished that interview and, and uh, they said their goodbyes, he said, thank you very much. Now, that wasn't his only English. His English was very good. But I thought even to be able to conclude it, he's he's obviously spent a little bit of time getting himself ready. Sometimes these guys come over and all they've got is a, a suitcase and a box full of cornflakes. and. Uh, in, in the case of Zaitsev, I was very impressed. I think that they can expect bigger things from him. So if, in fact, uh, we're right on Riley and we're right on Zaitsev, all of a sudden they've got two pretty good defensemen uh, who can move the puck. And in Zaitsev's case, he plays regularly with the Russian national team. You've got to be pretty good to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, this is a guy who's played seven years in the KHL from the age of 17 to now 24 years old. Yeah. You know he's played in the World Championships. He's played internationally for Russia. I he's I mean I don't think he's a finished finished product. You know that there's an adjustment coming over from Europe on the on the Olympic size ice to the North American game. Uh, but I think that this tournament helps him because he's playing in the in the arena that he's going to be playing with with the Leafs. Yeah. I think that he and Riley are going to be end up being the top pairing. Maybe maybe not right out of training camp, but I think probably. By you know November or December, you know a right hand shot and Zaitsev a left hand shot and Riley, I, I think and he's and and Zaitsev has been playing, either him or uh, Dmitry Orlov from Washington have been the leading ice time uh, for defensemen on that team. So clearly the Russians maybe they don't have many options with the old guys like Andrei Markov on the blue line, but they have been giving Zaitsev a lot of responsibility. Um you know I think I think Riley is going to be the top pairing guy with with the Leafs. I I think you know the, I I don't think the Leafs are going to play Matthews on the wing. He's going to be up the middle. I mean this is the this is the big center that they've been looking yeah. for since Matt Sundin departed 8 or 9 well, years ago. Well you got to
1: remember been. that's what they were going to do eventually. The last big center they had like that, they picked from London, Daryl Sittler. He played yeah. almost 2 years left wing, put him but at the center at the age of twenty one or twenty two, whatever he was. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm with you, Mike. I think eventually, and I'm not sure that it'll be immediately, but he's going to be, and he is the big center they're looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I will grant your point. There's a, a number. I mean, I think that that's what they're going to do with William Neilander this year. They're, you know, they played him at center in the American Hockey League last year. From what Babcock indicated in July, they're, they're going to put Neilander on the wing with Matthews. I think what the Leafs are going to do is they're going to put Matthews at least down as a second or third line guy to start the season. But based on what I've seen in the World Championships and in this tournament, def- his defensive instincts are that of somebody who's been in the league for four or five years. He's, he's a solid two-way guy, didn't make a lot of rookie mistakes. And, I, you know, unless I know that Babcock is very careful with, you know, exposing younger players too much too soon. But I, he, you know, I, from what I heard, he was very impressed with Matthew's two way ability at the World Championships. And in, at you know, at the World Cup, he's been in a sort of different role as a winger. But I think he's going to end up being the, at least the third line center to start the season.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I don't see. Uh... I'm talking about eventually being the number one guy. True. Uh, usually, if you become the number one center. You need a little apprenticeship. Some people take it on the wing. Some people take it as a third line center. So I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with your your plan. Uh, and, and I don't know what Mike's going to do with him, but I know this that he's going to play on the team and play well.
0: Switching to the Leafs, uh, I was up at the uh, opening of training camp yesterday. The Leafs um, left Toronto. Uh, and headed to Nova Scotia for the week, you know, the long weekend. They're playing an exhibition game against Ottawa on Monday, and then they'll head back. And they'll likely get uh, all, all six of the eight players that uh, played in the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, only Enroth and I believe um, Zaitsev are the only ones that are, are still active. And you know, depending on what happens to Sweden and Russia, they may get all eight players back. But the yeah. the, the the news that was central regarding the Leafs and it, it was it was funny Bill because with the World Cup there was very little media coverage at op- at the opening of training camp this year as opposed to last year where there everybody was there and the Leafs pulled off a trade on the opening day of training camp to this year it was very subdued and and not as many media members there but the the news of Joffrey Lupo which had been sort of hanging over the team all summer, it sort of came off with a, a whimper because the previous night there was a story out of T, uh, from TSN that um, Lupo had failed his physical and was going to start the season on injured reserve and that he would appear in front of the media on Thursday. And then, lo and behold, he did not appear and uh, released a short statement and basically said, um, you know, I'm not going to have any further comment at this time. It looks, I mean, to me, it looks like Joffrey Lupo is a has a one-way ticket to Robidah Island, and we may, we will never yeah. see him again in blue and white.
1: No, no, you won't. You know, I I, I agree with you, Mike. And uh, I don't know what Lupo's problem is. He's had a series of them. Uh, when he came from Anaheim, he came as a Nathan Horton type guy. His back was done, and that wasn't enough for David Nonas he had to sign him to a four year or five year contract at five million a year. I mean how how preposterously stupid was that and so now Lupul is collecting I think it's the last year of that contract no, and see. he will be uh, on uh, on the island of uh, uh, of no return and uh, I don't think we'll ever see him again at uh, ACC.
0: It, it, it's funny because uh, Dave Dave us <laughs> in three instances, and it came up within the span of 48 hours. Three contracts that he signed, or three players that he signed, Mikhail Grabowski, David Clarkson, and Joffrey Lupul, all to contracts that were five years or longer. Um, they ended up using the compliance buyout on Grabowski. He um, could not pass the physical. In Long Island, On Long Island, he is probably at least done for this year, maybe his career because of concussion issues. Clarkson failed his physical in Columbus. That's the Leaf contract, the seven-year contract that they signed, and now Lupo. I mean, the thing with the Leafs is they have the Horton contract, they have Robida, they have now Lupo. You're talking $13 million this year in, in uh, cap space or in salary that is headed – to either injured reserve or long-term injured reserve, the Leafs are lucky that they have deep pockets.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. They're, they're extraordinarily lucky, and I—I I, I was never impressed with Dave Donis' business acumen, and his his uh, uh, soiree in Toronto was keeping uh, with that type of uh, uh, of report card. It, it was a disaster, and. Uh, there's more evidence than even you and I have turned up. How about eh, that defenseman number three that they signed <laughs> back to back too? That was a that was a pot load. Well,
0: and, and I have I have to say this. I mean, I'm you know there are there are people who are critical of Lou Lamorello and Brendan Shanahan and what they've what they've done. Um, throughout the years, but you have to say that within the span of less than two years in the case of Shanahan and the span of less than a or a little over a year with Lamarello, if anybody would have said they would have been able to get rid of Kessel, Fanof, and a couple other of the and, and now Lupo and Robada yeah. uh, and Clarkson uh, and only have a million two in retan- retention of salary in the case of Kessel and after this season, once they, get, once they trade off or allow guys like Mahalik and Jared Cowan and Greening for their, their contracts to expire, all that cap space, all, that, all those contractual obligations have been cleansed off this roster. I don't think anybody in their right mind would have thought it was possible to get rid of all those players with so little effect the future
1: well and you know what it, it, it's 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 a testament to the salary cap world ottawa could hardly wait to get rid of those salaries the leafs could hardly wait to get rid of enough so it was two dancing partners who were both uh at the good salary cap hall having a dance that made it work and good for them i don't think that uh, uh i don't think any credit away from the Leaf organization. And expunging themselves of all the money they wasted, but don't over, go overboard on giving them credit for taking uh, Ottawa's uh, <clears throat> Deadwood and pretending it was an ingenious move. It, it just was there for those who had mismanaged in the past three or four years.
0: Yeah, it was the pr- it was the price that they had to pay to take on yeah. to to get Ottawa to take FNUF's contract because I mean I believe it's four more years after the end of this year, that FNUF is going to be making at $7 bucks, making more than Eric Carlson, by the way. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the negative ramifications for Ottawa will be a couple years down the line when FNUF starts to fade, if he hasn't started to fade already, and he, they've got that $7 million albatross around their neck. Uh, final thing, Bill, and we'll see this. More vividly as we look at some of the exhibition games, so it's tough to make a determination right now. I was in the I was at the rookie tournament in London last weekend, and saw Mitch Marner play two games. Now I think Mitch Marner is an immense talent, and he had a season for the ages with London in the OHL last year. He won every MVP award known to mankind, and yet I see him at the rookie tournament, which. You know he didn't impress last year, but he was an 18-year-old kid, and it was the first pro experience. And he didn't really do that great at the uh, in the in preseason games with the Leafs, and they sent him back to London really early. The expectation this year is him making the team and sticking with the team. And what I saw in London was somebody who was trying a little too hard. Made a couple plays that if Mike Babcock was there, I think he would have used a cattle prod on him to tell him, yeah, not no, that's not the thing you do. And the physical uh, aspect of things. He said yesterday at the opening of training camp, he had put on five pounds of muscle. Well, he started at 163 pounds. He's now at 168. That's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I, I'm a little concerned and I'm wondering where the Leafs will go here with, with Marner, whether it's, he makes the team and he gets the nine games and then they see what they're going to do, or he gets sent back to London right away. Or maybe they give him up to 40 games and then send him to the World Juniors and maybe back to London after that. What what is your feel on what you think that they're going to do with Mitch Marner?
1: I think they're going to start on your last plan, the 40 games, the World Junior. And then if he hasn't shown Johnny Gaudreau type, I mean, you can't, Johnny Gaudreau doesn't wear 168 pounds. No, He doesn't wear 168 pounds. He's skinny as a Reich, and he's the one of the most gifted players you'd ever see. I'm not sure Marner is the same kind of player, but they'd like to find that out. And it's not a very good team to find it out, because you're not exactly putting him with Jonathan Tates. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd i like to see how Marner can do playing in five or six exhibition games with, if you want to put him with Caudry, so that the, both guys are from London, uh, not that uh, Marner's a London boy, but he played there. I'd like to see them get as much information as they can on him in the exhibition season, and if he proves that he deserves another look, you go down the road that you just described. Let him play, and either he's going to play, Mike, or he's going to be a dud. And if he can play, then he'll be there all year. But if he can't, they'll, they'll keep him around, send him for two weeks conditioning, then send him to the World Junior, then bring him back and send him to London. That means that he's not ready. But I don't think you can do that right out of training camp. I think you have to give him a long look on the exhibition schedule and conclude at the end of that, is this worth investing another 30 games? I think it is. Uh, Hunter would think it was. He made a big pick there. And uh, I, I just... I just think there's more like I, I'm not questioning your evaluation of his training camp because obviously he didn't do much, but I think he deserves the chance and the organization and its fans deserve the opportunity to, to see where he's going to be. Where is he going with this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll freely admit it was, it, it was a snapshot. It was two games. Sure. It was, he,
1: yeah. was, he was playing with
0: Tobias Lindbergh and Collins, Colin Smith. So it wasn't exactly playing with top yeah. line talent and, I think that's why. Well, he you saw to...
1: Patrick Kane with the U.S. team, <laughs> or, or did you? Did, <laughs> yes. you? did you spot him?
0: Yeah. Well, no, no, not at all. And no, he didn't. No, exactly. You it it didn't.
1: It, 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 it's, it's all part when you have a gifted player like that. You know, he 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 needs help. Now Johnny Gaudreau, playing for Team North America, had some help with him, but he 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 had a presence. This guy, when he was on the ice, he was going to the net, making things happen. He's going to cost the Calgary Flames the eight million dollars. They better pay up now, or they'll be if they don't have him in the lineup to start. They're going to miss that talent immensely.
0: Ironically, I you know, and you sort of mentally put lines together uh, or combos together and see what they, you think think that's what is going to happen in training camp and during the and into the regular season. And I actually think that if if Marner is kept to give him the best chance. I think he's going to fill the, the Phil Kessel spot on right wing with Van Riemsdyk and Bozak. I think that, you know, you've got two guys who've worked together in the past and then you plug in a young guy like Marner with all of his abilities. I, I think that, you know, it, you would find out pretty quickly whether he's ready for prime time playing with two veteran guys who know, you know, know how to play nice. off each other. And if that, if that works, then he may, he may stay, stay the season. Kadri is sort of a wild card. I mean, sometimes he plays great, sometimes he disappears. And I'm not sure if they want Marner to be sort of affected by the inconsistency of Kadri at, at times.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, it, it's a comment on Kadri that you say very accurately that the more consistent of the two, Bozak and Kadri, is Bozak. And that's true. Bozak, you can count on. Kadri, you don't know what you're going to get. But he's got a new five-year contract, so hopefully he'll make some kind of a commitment to his off-ice training and uh, show up with the skill set that Cliff Fletcher told me seven years ago this guy can't miss. Cliff, Cliff knows a hockey player, and I'm sure he's as disappointed as some others in the organization to see that he can't play. When I say he can't play, can't play at the level of expectation.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been of the opinion that Nazem Kadri will not last the first half of the deal that he signed. I think by 2019, he'll be on another team. I'm in, and I'm in the minority in that one, and I'm, I've been well-known as a longtime critic of Kadri, but we'll see what happens. But
1: Bill, Well, the one thing that I like about Qadri, mm-hmm. and they still don't have a player that can do what he does, he sticks his nose in. He doesn't hesitate to go after people. They have nobody in that category other than they have now obtained Matt Martin, and that's that's a an intelligent acquisition because there was nothing there. They've got Martin and Kadri, The rest are the lead hands at the Powder Puff Derby.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I think the and I'm not saying it's likely, but. At the end of the season, Mike Babcock said, you know, he didn't. He didn't. One thing he did not like about the team. I mean, there were a number of things because they finished 30th, but that some of the skilled players got pushed around and there was no pushback from the roster, you know, from the rest of the roster. And you know, Roman Polak will stick up for teammates. Matt Martin is a is an energy guy and a good team guy. There's an outside chance that a guy like Brandon Prust, if he has anything left. Um, could fit in as a fourth-liner because they have so many forwards who are smaller who have waiver exemption that can go down to the AHL that Pruss could make a case to earn a pro contract and be a fourth-line guy like Rich Clune. Well, was Pruss left. could
1: play on the fourth line with Martin uh, just as well as uh, the Islander line that they put together. I mean, I, I thought that uh, uh, that Islander fourth line with Tazekas and uh, Clutterbuck, uh, which yeah. is Uh, You know, they needed a puck squared off after every, uh, (laughs) they took the edges off it after every shift, but they were effective, and they were an effective fourth line, and that's something that the Leafs will need because the rest of their team is pretty much uh, skilled, and that's it.
0: Well, Bill, thank you once again for uh, doing the the podcast. Uh, Definitely will have you on before the beginning of the regular season. Uh, Always appreciate it, and thanks once again.
1: Thanks, Mike. Have a good week. I'll talk to you when you need me.
0: Uh, for Bill Waters, this is Michael Agello. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again real soon.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky.